You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. In uh, June of 1980, John Travolta's uh, film, Urban Cowboy, released in theaters to mixed reviews. And while the film wasn't a hit, the soundtrack certainly was. Uh, One of its singles, Looking for Love, featuring the baritone voice of Johnny Lee, surged to the top of the country charts and hit number five on the Billboard Hot 100. And in the song, Johnny Lee sings of how he has this love that he's dreamt of, that it, that it surely exists somewhere out there. And, and he's come to discover that it does exist. It is out there. And the reason he hasn't found it up to this point is because he's been looking for love in all the wrong places. And the, the reason that song resonates with us is because that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Uh, that we are all on a quest to find something. Uh, For you, it might be love, it might be success, it might be meaning, it might be satisfaction, it might be approval, it might be security. But whatever you're on your quest to find, uh, you've got this idea that that thing exists, and and a kind of, let's say, security exists that would give you perfect peace in life. That there's a kind of security out there that would mean that you're no longer afraid that you'll, you'll not be able to pay your bills. And no longer be afraid that those who you love will leave you. Uh, no longer afraid that your health will fail. And so whatever it is, you, you've got this dream that that thing exists and it's out there. But, but maybe, maybe the reason we're all on this quest and we're looking to find these things and we don't find what we're really after is because we're looking for the right things, but we're looking for them in the wrong places. And if you think that might be true of you, or maybe you're just not sure, I hope you will turn in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, There in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uh, shows the church at Corinth how people in every culture are often looking for the right things, they're just looking for them in the wrong place. And so if you've got your Bible, I hope you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 1. If you've got a digital device you can use to pull up the Scriptures, I'd encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, That's the translation of the Bible I'll be reading from this morning. And so if you search ESV, 1 Corinthians 1, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with verse 18. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is God's word to us today. And here in verse 18, we learn that the message of the cross separates the world into two groups, uh, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And the tense is very important there in verse 18, because it's saying that one of these two things is true of you right here, right now. Uh, You are either being saved or you are perishing. And what determines whether you are perishing or whether you are being saved is what you do with the message of the cross. Uh, The message that although we have all sinned and have disobeyed God, we're all sinners deserving of death and hell. God in his love sent God the Son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus lived a perfect life and then died a death on a cross to take the penalty for your sin and mine. But then he rose on the third day in victory over sin, death, the devil. And he now lives at the right hand of the Father on high, offering forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption as the children of God. To all of us who would turn and and put our hope and our trust, not in who we are and what we have done, but in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is the message of the cross, and we are separated into two groups. One group is perishing, one group is being saved based on what we do with that message. And it's important that we understand that that's true of us, it's true of your neighbor, your coworker, your extended family. Every day they are at odds with the cross, they are perishing. It's not just that one day in the future on judgment day they will perish. Or one day at their death, they will perish. But here in verse 18, he is very clear. When you do not come to terms with the cross every day of your life, you are perishing. And that's the reason we're in the position we are in as a nation. Because, you see, the the truth is the cross confronts every culture. The, the reason people who don't come to terms with the message of the cross are perishing is because the cross confronts every culture. That's what Paul is saying there in verses 22 through 25. 
He says, um, hey, um, uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What Paul is saying is every, every Jew, just like everyone in every culture, they thought they knew the path to meaning and significance. And for Jews, the the path to meaning and significance was power. They thought, if we get enough power, we'll be able to overthrow our enemies and secure our future. Uh, the, The Greeks, different culture, different values, but like every culture, they thought they knew the path to meaning and significance, and for them, it was wisdom. If, if we get enough wisdom, we'll be able to anticipate every issue. We'll be able to outthink every obstacle. The more wisdom we have, the more meaning and significance we'll have in our lives. Every culture believes they understand the path to meaning and significance. But the cross comes along and says, how's that working for you? <laughs> Uh, that's what Paul says there in verses 19 and 20. He says, hey, uh, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, every culture has an intelligentsia, a group of academic elites who exert their influence and say, hey, this is the path to meaning and significance, and most of the culture just blindly follows them down it. And Paul is saying to the Jews and to the Greeks in their separate cultures, hey, how is that working out for you? And the answer is it wasn't working in first century Corinth, and it isn't working in 21st century America either, is it? Because the cross of Jesus Christ confronts our culture as well. It's true, like the Jews and the Greeks, we value things like power and wisdom, but we also value things like technology and efficiency and sexual freedom. And Paul would say, how is that working for you? Uh, We think that uh, technology is just an inevitable good. The more technology we have, the more meaning and significance our lives will possess. And that's why in the 1930s, the renowned economist John Maynard Keynes, he He predicted that by the year 2000, Americans would only be working 15 hours a week. Because he said, look, advances in technology, we're going to be able to produce more. We're going to be so efficient. Americans, they'll only have to work 15 hours a week. How's that prediction looking in your life today? And yet, does that make us pause and consider? Like, is this path that we're going down, is it the right one? Is it true that... Technology is what's going to give us meaning and significance, allow us to slow down and smell the roses and enjoy the good life. No, we just keep going down the path and think, well, it's the next technological advancement that will give us what we're after. Uh, Think about all the discussions surrounding the mental health of teens. Uh, People tell us that what uh, teens need today, the reason they're in such poor mental health, is we need to allow them to express themselves sexually however they see best. And that the more sexual freedom a teen has, the, the more liberated and happy they will be. And if we communicate traditional sexual ethics, it will actually be to their detriment. 
And yet we live in the most sexually progressive society in our nation's history, and teen suicide is higher than it has ever been. Does that cause us to pause and reflect and say, is this path actually working? Or do we just embrace it? It's interesting, isn't it, how we think more technology, more sexual freedom will lead to greater meaning and significance and happiness, and yet we've got more technology than we have ever had in human history. We have more sexual liberation and freedom in our culture than we've had at any point in the history of our country. Violent crime is low, unemployment is low, per capita income among Americans has steadily increased, and yet you know what? Americans' happiness has consistently declined since the World Happiness Survey began in 1970. More technology, more sexual freedom, and yet Americans have continued to become less and less and less happy. We are perishing as a people because we have moved past the cross of Jesus Christ. And the message of the cross divides the world into two groups, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And the message of the cross comes to every culture and it confronts it. That's what Paul's saying here in verses 22. He says, look, Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But the reason the message of the cross confronts the culture, verse 23, is because the message of the cross is this, Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, Jews, they they wanted power. And they thought, you know, um, if we get power, we're going to be okay. And so if you just preached Christ to them, like they they were with you, Like, they're looking for a Christ. They are looking for a Messiah to come. But they thought that that Messiah would be some brilliant military strategist that would allow them to overthrow the Romans, and then that Messiah would enshrine the law of Moses as public policy. (laughs) But that's not exactly how it went down. Uh, The Greeks, they... uh, they thought, you know, um, what we need is, is, is we need wisdom. Uh, we need wisdom from God. And, and so if we could get perfect wisdom, we could anticipate every issue, outthink every obstacle. And yet, the cross comes and, and they understand Christ if you preach Christ as the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. But Christ crucified? Because you see, the the Jews, they're looking for a Christ, but if you crucify that Christ, they say Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Christ crucified makes no sense. The Greeks say, hey, we understand preaching Christ, if by Christ you mean the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. But how can you say the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge was captured and killed by his enemies? Christ crucified, that doesn't sound like wisdom, that sounds like incompetence. You see, the the message of the cross comes and it confronts the culture at its deepest desire because they look at it and they say, the cross cannot give me what I'm really after. It is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But the reason the message of the cross separates the world into two groups is because why the cross confronts every culture, it also connects to every culture too. 
Notice what he says, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, what Paul is saying is that most Jews, they look at the cross and they say, whoa, 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 Christ crucified. No, 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 doesn't make any sense. Anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. But other Jews, verse 24, those Jews who were called, they come to find in the cross what they've been looking for their entire lives. They'd been looking for power that would overthrow the Romans, enshrine the law of Moses as public policy. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, they come to see, oh, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. We are given a Christ who, who doesn't come to overthrow the Romans and enshrine the law of Moses, but who hangs on a cross, taking the curse of the law upon himself for us. Not so that the law might be enshrined, but so that we might be set free from the law. We're given power not simply over the Romans. We're given power over sin and death. And they see in the, the cross of Jesus Christ, in Christ crucified, they see the power they have been searching for their entire lives. And they say, I've been looking for power in all the wrong places. And the Greeks, they, they see in the cross, they, they want wisdom. And, and to some, they look and they say, man, how can you say that the, the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge was captured and killed by his enemies? That's foolishness. But other Greeks, they look at the cross and they've been wrestling with this issue. They, they know everybody's a sinner. Everybody disobeys God. So how can God forgive sinners like you and me and still be just? How can he maintain his justice if he lets us off the hook? But down comes Christ, and He is crucified. And they see that God the Son lives a perfect life and dies on the cross so that God might be just even as He justifies, as He forgives sinners like you and me. And they say, what wisdom! Here is the wisdom we've been searching for our entire lives. What man could have never dreamt up, never come up with, God did in Christ crucified. And so the, the, the cross, it, it confronts every culture, but it also connects to every culture. And some, some, those who are perishing, what happens is they see the way the cross confronts the culture. That's all they see, and they mock it. Others, those who are being saved, they see the way the cross actually connects to their deepest desires within the culture, and they're saved and they're made new. And so the question we ought to ask is, like, what makes the difference? Like, what, what causes some to get it while so many miss it? And Paul answers the question for us here in verses 26 and following. He says, first, don't think it's your smarts. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. In other words, he's saying to the church at Corinth, you guys aren't the brightest bunch. Like your SAT scores wouldn't get you into most public universities, fellas. You're, you're not the brightest. So it's not because you've figured something out that, 
that other people are just too dumb to see. He goes on in the verse to say, you're not the most powerful and you're not the most influential people, nor were you born in the most prestigious families. In other words, it has nothing to do with you. The reason some see it and are saved, the reason others don't and are perishing, has nothing to do with anything in you, but everything to do with God's sovereign grace. The, the, the good news of salvation comes to us as a free gift from God. He, he goes on to continue there in, in verse 27 and following. He says, hey, the reality is God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What he's saying here in this text, and I know this is, this is one of those things we hold with an open hand here at Hayes Hills, but, but we've got to just take seriously what God's Word says. He's saying the, the reason you Corinthians have been saved is because God chose to set His grace upon you. He, he chose you who weren't smart so that He could put to shame those who are intelligent. And he chose those of you, he chose to save those of you who are weak so that he could shame the strong. And he chose to save you who are low and despised and, and are of little credit so that he could shame and show that his grace is stronger than any family background. God chose to set his grace upon you. And the reason that it is it is God's choosing, verse 29, is for this purpose, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you or I had anything to do with our salvation, we could take credit for it. If we could say, well, you know, the gospel is preached to everybody, but I'm just smarter, praise be to me. <laughs> the gospel's preached to everybody, but I'm just better than those other bozos, praise be to me. The gospel's preached to everybody, but I'm I'm more humble than everyone. Praise be to me. But the good gift of God's grace is that he sets his grace upon you. He sends the Holy Spirit to show you who Jesus is and to show you who you are. And you inevitably say, Lord, you are wonderful. I will put my hope and my trust in you so that all glory might go to him and not to you and me. This is the purpose of his grace. Notice there, verse 30, because of him, not because, not because of you, but because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, you, you see, what seems to be setting apart those who get it from those who do not is God setting his grace upon them. In verse 24, Paul puts it this way. He says, to those who are called. And here, he's, he's, he's not talking about the general call, although there is a general call that goes out to all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a general call that goes out to all the world, but there is also an effectual call, and that's what he's talking about here in verse 24. N notice verse 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified, it's a stumbling block to Jews, it's folly to Gentiles, but, verse 24, to those who are called, 
And we know this is an effectual call because now he's not just talking about every Jew and every Greek. He's talking about to those Jews and Greeks who get it. They, what sets them apart is God's call on their life. And it causes them to see the Lord for who he really is. To see how in Christ crucified, what they've been searching for their entire lives can be found. And so the question for you and for me today is, which one of these two groups do you fall into? Are you being saved or are you perishing? Do you see the cross as, as weakness and folly or as strength and wisdom? Do you see the cross as a, a fairy tale that, you know, it works for some people, or do you see it as the greatest fact in human history? Where do you fall? Because your life will be determined by what you do with the cross. That's why if, if only one thing could be said about Hayes Hills Baptist Church, if only one thing could be said, I pray it would be this, we preach Christ crucified. Not just the guy up on the platform, but all of us. We preach Christ crucified. That, that we would preach Christ crucified to the world. And, and that means we don't simply start with the cross, although that's a wonderful uh, information to give to someone. You actually start in a different place. You, you start by saying, hey, don't let me tell you about the cross first. Let me tell you about you first. You show them how the cross confronts their desires before you show them how it connects to their desires. And you say, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, how everybody in our world seems to be after wealth. Uh, some are after wealth because they see that it will give them security. But isn't it interesting how you can lose a fortune a lot faster than you can build one? <laughs> that the, the wealth that you think will bring you security, it, it actually, it doesn't afford what you're really after because what you want is invincibility and immortality. And the invincibility and immortality you are after can only be found in Christ crucified. That because Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead, if you put your trust in him, death may attack you, but death cannot have you. Invincibility and immortality is only found in Christ crucified. It's interesting, isn't it, how people chase after wealth in our society because they think that wealth will bring them enjoyment. <laughs> but you know, that doesn't work, does it? Uh, that's why people say to themselves, you know, if I buy this thing, I'll be happier if I go on that trip. But, but it doesn't work because that's why there's always another thing to buy and another trip to go on. <laughs> Because nothing you purchase and no trip you experience gives you the enjoyment you're really after. It all quickly fades. And so can I show you how, what you are after, the enjoyment you desire, it can only be found in a new heaven and a new earth ushered in by Christ crucified. That one day, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, there will be a new heavens and a new earth where there is no death, no sorrow, no pain, no tears. Everything is joy forevermore. You will work 
and you will have no stress. Isn't it interesting how people chase after wealth in our world, and they're chasing after wealth to find success? But you know, stock evaluations, they, they fluctuate day to day. And if you tie your success to that value, you're never going to find the kind of stable success you're looking for in life. And even if at the end of your life, the stock price closes high and you feel like you're successful, we're seeing right now, aren't we, that future generations can change their mind on your legacy. Just as our world looks back at heroes of old and now says, ah, let's evaluate them through a different lens. And so the, the kind of success, the stability, the approval that you are looking for, it can only be found in Christ crucified. Because there and only there can you hear the God of the universe say to you, as he said to his son, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. But not only do we preach Christ crucified to the world, we ought to preach cru Christ crucified to ourselves. And say, man, why is it that I'm always after the perfect marriage? You know, saying, ah, oh, if we go to this conference, if we see this counselor, if, if I read this book, if I employ this strategy, then I'll have the perfect marriage that I'm looking for. Well, if we preach Christ crucified to ourselves, we find that in Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that what you desire in marriage is actually designed to point you to something else, to Christ's relationship to the church. And so you're never going to be completely satisfied the way your heart wants to be in your marriage because it is to point you to the reality that can only be found in Christ crucified. Maybe it's just you want to be loved. Like, you, you want to be loved in a way in which you know you're going to be loved today and tomorrow and forever. But sometimes you look around and you think, will they love me because I've, you know, I've put on about 15 pounds? Do they still love me the same? Will they love me if, if I continue to make these bad choices? Will they love me when I get fired from my job? Will they, will they love me if they knew the, the things that go through my mind? Would they love me? But the good news for you and me as we preach Christ crucified to ourselves is that God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if God loved us that way when we were stuck in our sin, dead in our sin, how much more can we trust that He will love us each and every day of our lives regardless of what comes our way? You see, it turns out we too have been looking for love in all the wrong places. But the love we want, it does exist. And so does the peace and the security and the joy, the approval, the sense of belonging, they all exist and they can all be found, but they can only be found in one place, in Christ crucified. And every day you do not come to terms with that message, you are perishing. But every day you come to terms with the message of the cross, you are being saved. So, Hayes Hills, may we preach Christ crucified. May we preach it to the world. And may we preach it.